O kings, all the days of our lives. And as a reward, we get to be in the kingdom of God forever, your kingdom forever, to see our loved ones, Father, that are there, and to serve you and worship you and adore you because of the great God that you are, a God that loved us so much that you would send your only begotten Son, that whoever, whoever, didn't matter if they're black, red, yellow, white, purple, green, didn't matter if they're short, tall, ugly, or beautiful, Lord, you so loved the world that you gave your Son. And we just thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for coming into our lives. Thank you, Father, for giving us defensive weapons to fight against the enemy. Like we know as Christians, Lord, that that there's no weapon the enemy can form against us that's going to prosper. And if he accuses us in judgment, we have the authority to condemn him. Because that's our inheritance from you, and our justification is from you. And Father, we as believers know this. We got so many beautiful promises from you. Lord, you promised that all things would work together for the good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And Father, there's a requirement there to those that love you, to those that are called according to your purpose. And Father, I know that I have been, I'm in love with you, and I've been called according to your purpose. And I look out over this congregation, I see a bunch of people that are the same. They love you with all their heart. They worship you, Lord God, and they have been called according to your purpose. What a high calling. Lord, help us to live it out all the days of our lives. In order to do that, we need your Holy Spirit to come into our heart and just possess us. You would fill us to the brim, to the fingertips, to the toes with your Holy Spirit. And that people, as we walk by the way, when we sit in our house, when we lie down, when we rise up, Lord, people would say, there's something different about you. What is it? And we can tell them about our glorious and awesome Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, it's so nice to be in love with you. What would we have done without you if we had to walk 60, 70, 100 years without you? Lord, what would it profit us? But now we have you in our lives, and we have all the precious promises that are yea and amen in you. We thank you, Lord. Blessed be your holy name. Father, we rebuke the devil. We loose your Holy Spirit in this place. And we proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he came, he died, he is buried, and he was risen, or has risked the third day. The glorious, most precious words in the Bible. The most important message of all. That you are risen in Jesus' name. Father, Direct your words right to our heart today as we study some tough scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless your church. You may be seated. You can. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. And for those online, again, I wanted to remind you this is Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani, and we're glad you're here. You can tune in this Sunday at 10 a.m. And we do meet on Thursdays at 7.15, but... This Thursday is New Year's Eve, and you're going to stay home, you know, and be safe from the roads, okay? So um, we'll see you next Sunday, 10 a.m. All right. Um, you know, I, I debated between two messages. One was continue with the Christmas theme or to continue maybe look towards New Year. <laughs> the New Year one kind of won out, you know? Um so, I named this message, What's Your Game Plan This Coming Year? What's your game plan? And we're going to look at like 11 different types of Christians in the world today. You know, we may have a little problem with some of them and maybe in our lives, but, but uh, it's, it's, it's time to examine ourselves and that's my scripture opening scripture which is 2nd Corinthians 13 2nd Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 
Here's what the Lord says, and I, I think it's appropriate for the ending of this year and the beginning of next. And I don't know if we'll get through all 11 today. If we don't, we'll continue next week. But test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? It's time for every Christian to examine ourselves in our walk with the Lord. You know, um, are we really in the faith or are we just playing games? Some people are playing games. Some people don't even realize they're playing a game. I think this is appropriate for the Christmas season because the Christmas season and Easter season, a lot of people that really are not churchgoers, and really don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they do come to church. And for those people, you know, I look at our church, I know, I know all of you are, I don't know your heart, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, this message is for the choir. But it really isn't. It's still time for us Christians who walk the walk and talk the talk and live the life to examine ourselves because we can be better. We can be better. If you're an artist, you can always be a better artist. If you're a doctor, you can always be a better doctor. If you're a musician, you can always be a better musician. You know, and we can be better Christians as we read the Bible, serve the Lord. So there's our, there are several different types of Christians in the Bible. My first look is going to be at the legal Christian, the legalistic Christian. They play a game and show how religious they are. They go to church, you know, who ever knows, every day, take communion every day. You know, they have to show people how religious they are. I'm saved, just follow me. You know, that's really not the scriptures. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You know, we play a legal game. A lot of them abuse Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace, you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not your good works. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what makes Christianity so simple. But even the churches, even some pastors, they try to push legalism off on people. By grace, you're saved through faith. And you know the acrostic grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. You are rich because of what Christ did, not because of what you did. You can't be a legalistic Christian. Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain or needlessly. By the way, another version says, I do not nullify the law of grace. We sometimes nullify the law of grace. For righteousness comes through Christ. And if it doesn't, then what did he die for? What did he die for? If you could get saved by your good works, Jesus should have stayed on his throne in heaven. But he, can't, he didn't. Because you can't be saved by your own good works of, uh, and being legalistic. You do this, you do that. You light a candle, you, you give this amount of money. No, no, it's all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Titus, Paul told Titus, you know, that God, that he saved us not on the basis of the deeds we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. See, Christ didn't save us because of the good deeds that you did. He saved you according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by, your, by the Holy Spirit. He renewed you. You're born again. You're a different person. You no longer act the same, or if you, if you act the same now as you did before you accepted Christ, you better examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see if you are of the faith. Test yourselves. This is one verse. Examine yourself. Test yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Some of us have failed the test. 
Jesus even covered that in Matthew 24, 25. He said, some of you will say, in your name we cast out demons, we spoke with new tongues, we drank de deadly poison, you know, but he, and he revived them, but he said, I never knew you. I never knew you because you didn't know me. You didn't uh, realize who I was. You trampled underfoot the very blood of God. Yes, there's a requirement for works. If you're saved, you will do more works, good works by accident than you will by trying legalistically. If you've loved Jesus, that's just the way it is. Works is like the right hand of your faith. Like Jesus is the right hand of God. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you will do good works. And you will do more good works than you would just acting or playing the game. So don't play that game of how religious I am to show people you go to church every week, you do this, you tithe here and there. You know, God loves the cheerful giver. Don't, don't tell people what you do. Even when you fast, don't even tell them when you fast. Just fast. If you believe in Jesus with all your heart, you will look like a Christian, you will act like a Christian, and you will be a Christian. A Christian means a little Christ. You're a follower of Christ. There's another type of Christian. It's called copied Christianity. Some play the game. I like the what you hear in the politics all the time. Fake news. Well, there's fake Christians. They fake being a Christian. There were some in the Bible, Acts chapter 19, and we're going to read that. Acts chapter 19. And verse um, 11 through 20. Chapter 19, 11 through 20. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the disease left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, I adjure you by Christ, whom Paul preaches, the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the seven evil spirit leaped on them and subdued them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house, wounded and naked. Some people fake Christianity. These, the seven sons here of Skevel was a fake Christian. He didn't receive Christ as his Savior, but he thought he had the power to cast out demons. You can't cast out a demon without Jesus. Jesus is the one that defeated the devil on the cross. He's the one that made an open spectacle over him, triumphing over him. He's the one that smashed the claws and shattered the teeth of the devil. And the devil has no authority over you. You can't fake Christianity because it will catch up with you and the devil will overpower you and he will deceive you and you will be in a lot of trouble. Don't take this passage about the handkerchiefs and aprons. They were just points of contact for your faith. Just like the woman who had to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. It was, a, it was a point of contact of her faith. And that's it. But they had faith. Faith. Don't copy Christianity. Some people, they're fake Christians. They look like a Christian. They act like a Christian. And they are, aren't, they aren't Christians at all. You know the devil goes to church, right? You see him in a lot of churches by what really goes on. You can't copy Christianity. 
You have to be a Christian. You have to receive Jesus Christ into your heart, with all your heart. You have to confess him before men, with all of your heart. Not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge, where you, as I always say, you can miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance from your head to your heart. God isn't concerned about your intellect. He's concerned about your heart. He said, the, he said when there, even when David was being anointed you know, by Samuel, he said, don't look at the outward appearance, but look at the heart. You know what? If you are a copy in Christian, you will be found out. Your sins will find you out, believe me. And we will recognize eventually who you are and what you are if you're faking it. So don't be a fake Christian. And don't be a legalistic Christian. There are also wordless Christianity. Those who know God's word, but they don't apply it. Wordless Christianity. They know it, but it's absolutely useless to them. They don't live it. Instruction minus application, you will continue in this frustration that you are in right now. They're ashamed of Christ. Sometimes they won't even speak the word of Christ because you know, people will know they're quoting the Bible. And if you're ashamed of the gospel of Christ, you lack power. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation. You know, if you want power in your life, you have to have, you, you have to preach the word. You have to actually believe. You have to actually apply the words of God in this Bible. Some of these people don't even tell people about Christ. They're just silent Christians. And you know what? God can win people over just by your silence if you're living the life. Because God can do all things. Those who don't speak it to others. They claim to be Christians, but some of them really aren't. We're promised that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and then we'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then even into all the world. That's what we will be. You know, if you look at the seven churches in Revelation, they all had a problem. All except the one, Philadelphia. They had, in Ephesus, there were false prophets running around. And God said to them, here's what I have against you. You left your first love. With Smyrna, there were those that were blaspheming, and God called them as, a, as they were part of the synagogue of Satan. And God said, I know your works. God knows your works. You can't fake it with God. You can't fake it. You can't um, be a wordless Christian. You've got to apply the word of God to your life. In Pergamum, Satan's throne was there. Satan's throne was there. Balaam's Doctrine was there. Balaam's doctrine, greed, fornication, Thyatira, Jezebel's false teachings were there. There was false prophecy. There was idol worship. There was seduc seduction into fornication. And Sardis, there was a dead church. The church was dead. They looked like they were alive, but they were dead. You need the Word of God in your life. Philadelphia had really nothing, nothing wrong with it. God, the Lord didn't rebuke anything on them. But Laodicea, their God was wealth. Their God was wealth. And we know that the Lord told us that man can't worship two gods. He'll either love one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You need to do that. They thought they were rich. We can't think that we're rich. Your religion is worthless if, you're, if you 
if it's not worth dying for. The apostles all died for Jesus. They knew he was real. Your religion is worthless if it's not dying for. I know if I asked everybody in this church, they'd probably say, pull the trigger if you had a gun to your head. The apostles knew that. They went to their deaths believing that. And even the apostle Paul. Luke 6.47 says this, Whoever comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man who built a house and dug it deep and laid the foundation on rock and the flood, floods came and the, stream, and the winds blew against that house and it was founded on the rock and it did not fall. So he hears God's word and believes it. You're like building a house upon a rock. So you have to believe the word. You can't be a wordless Christian. We know also that the Lord told us that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. So if you aren't speaking the word of God, your words are just going straight down. You speak the word of God to people, he's the one that moves and, and, and moves on their hearts. The word of God's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of a man's heart. There's also mixed Christianity. You know what that one is. In Revelation, there was this church. You remember it? It was lukewarm. It was a lukewarm cot. God hates lukewarmness. You're not hot. You're not cold. Lukewarmness is like putrid, if I can put it that way. They play a game and they abuse God's grace as we learned in the legalistic Christian. They abuse God's grace. They have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. No, you stay as close to the center line as possible. You don't drive along the guardrail when there's a cliff going down. You stay in the center of the road. You can't be a lukewarm Christian. You're supposed to be crucified with Christ. No longer you who live, but Christ that lives in you. And the life that you live, you live now by faith in the Son of God. A mixed Christian can't live a crucified life. It's impossible. A lot of people's favorite verse, Christians today, is Galatians 2.20 which is, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. It's Christ that lives in you. The life that you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you. And that's why we celebrate Christmas and Easter. These mixed Christianity, they abuse grace also. Galatians 5.13 for you, brethren, have been called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. They mixed, you know, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I can do this because I, I can just go to God. No, you, you're abusing grace. Paul even said it. What should I say then? Should I continue in sin that God, that grace may abound? And then he answered himself, God forbid, may it never be. You don't abuse your faith. You don't abuse your Christianity. Because if you do, you become a lukewarm Christian. You're doing what you want. You're not a boiling hot Christian. And there's Christianity, financial Christianity. They play the game, I give to get. I give money to the church or to this person or that person so that I can get something back. There's no heart in that. No heart whatsoever. They play a game like Judas. What will you give me? And I will betray him. 
what will you give me? So about this. Then there's false prophets. False prophets. And through covetousness, 2 Peter 2, 3. They will use you for gain. They will use you for gain with well-turned words, an eloquent mouth. We've got to watch that kind of stuff. The early church was given a warning. Jude said, Woe to them, for they went the way of Cain, and they gave themselves up to the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Turn to Genesis chapter 4, verse 13. Cain's talking. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground. And from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whosoever finds me shall kill me. Go down to the 16th verse. You know what the way of Cain is? Here it is right here. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. What a horrible thing to do. He went out from the presence of the Lord. I got to advise you, please don't go the way of Cain. Some of them did. Some today still do. They go the way of Cain. They go out from the presence of the Lord, even though they've been walked with the Lord for years and years. It's a horrible punishment. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yeah, this message is a little convicting, but you know what? It's time for us to toughen up. It's time for the church to toughen up and take a stand in the world today. Listen, you know, I read the seven churches here about blasphemy. You know, they're, they're, these, these people, there were still a remnant in these churches. It is possible to stand for Jesus, even if you live in the city where the synagogue of Satan is. You have the power to do that. The greater power is in you than he that's in the world. You know that. I always tell the story about in the Mariana Trench, there are fish seven and a half miles deep, over 7,000 miles, no, I forget how, seven, seven and a half miles deep is the Mariana Trench. The United States can't build a submarine that can go down three and a half miles. But there's fish down there. There's fish down there. Their scales aren't any thicker than the fish up here. What's the difference? The difference is greater is the, the pressure in the fish than the pressure on the fish. And that's you. If you're a Christian and you have not gone the way of Cain, the Holy Spirit in you is greater than anything the devil can throw at you. But you've got to be not a wordless Christian. You've got to come against him with the word of God. You can speak all the words you want and the philosophies of this world. It won't do a thing. But when you come against him with the very word of God, that's why I started out today. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment. And the devil would be better off named accuser in the Bible. He's the accuser. So we're talking about the devil here. No weapon formed against you. Every tongue that accuses you, the devil, in judgment, he accuses you in judgment. You have the authority to condemn him. Because you have greater power in you than he has. Your inheritance is in him. If God had a choice between a Satan and the devil, who do you think he's going to pick? Come on. He's going to pick you. So you have to realize it. Be a word, not a wordless Christian, but a Christian that claims the words of God and just believes them with all of their heart. So don't go out from the presence of the Lord. From all of you online, 
Cain had it recognized very, very clearly, my punishment is too great to bear. Your, your punishment for rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ will be too great for you to bear, and you will end up going out from the presence of the Lord. And you want a perfect definition of hell? It's absence of God. Imagine what this world would be like if the Holy Spirit isn't here. There's also temple Jews and the money changers. At the Passover, you know it. I'm convinced. We have recorded that Jesus went into the temple on Passover. But I don't think, if you study the symmetric Gospels, why did I forget that word? What's that? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the similar Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will find out that Jesus went into the temple, overchanged the money, overthrew the money changer tables, and then left. If you go into the Gospel of John, you will find out that he went in the last year of his ministry. Well, I'm under, even though it doesn't say that in the scriptures, I'm under the conviction that every year on Passover, Jesus went into the temple and did the same thing. Straighten up. This is a house of prayer. My, my house will be a house of prayer. He overthrew the money changer table and kicked them all out along with the animals. Because this courtyard was the courtyard of the Gentiles. And it was there so that they could call the Gentiles in and, and lead them to Jehovah, the living God. And instead, they were using it for personal gain. Now you know why they wanted him out of there. People start giving to him instead of, instead of uh, the Jews. He was hitting them in their pocketbook because now their wealth was gone. They were kicked out of the temple every, every Passover. And they hated Jesus for that. He drove them out of the temple. This was a house of prayer. They were supposed to be changed. You know, that's what they were supposed to be leading people to Jehovah. And that's the job of the church. Our job is to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our main focus. That's what Jesus said. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, lo, I am with you always. It's a co-mission. You partnered with Jesus on this. They hated him for that. They wanted this. There are those kind of people out there that are financial Christian Christians. They want you for money. They take advantage of you. They fleece the flock, and that is not good. Some of them have the true word, probably. I don't listen to many of them. But, um, you know, I, they, they are doing it for all the wrong reasons. Paul says, you know, I, in, I forget the passage, but he says, some people are happy that I'm in jail. He said, and some of them are out there preaching the gospel for personal gain, for selfish ambition. But what do I care as long as Christ is preached? But we do want to have it right. See, Jesus Christ is the real thing. It isn't money. It isn't money. The church should not be about money. Even right now, with the COVID thing going on, the churches are trying to preserve all their losses. You know what? Give them up. Give them up. It might be time to clean house. Then there's verbal Christianity. They play this game with persuasive words of wisdom. God, you realize that God chose a man that stuttered to deliver the Jews from Egypt. It isn't eloquence of speech. I'm no eloquent speaker, but I think I get the message across. It doesn't matter. Even Moses struggled with that. But God, I stutter. Well, who made your tongue? But then he ended up using Aaron anyhow as the main speaker. 
But Paul says it this way, I came to you in my speech and my preaching where we're not with enticing words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When you pray, do you pray with power? You, you have a powerful God that's greater than you. Why don't we pray with power? Why don't we take more authority in prayer? Paul not only said it once or twice, I think he did it about three times in 1 Corinthians one twenty-three. but we speak, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Even Paul, he admits, I'm not an eloquent speaker. Yeah, I, sometimes I wonder if that's why his, his epistles were written by other people. And a couple of them, he says, see how big my letters are? I wrote this with my own hand. I don't think he was an eloquent speaker or an eloquent writer. But God gave him somebody that would make it a little bit more eloquent so we can, we can understand it. But listen, God rebukes the ver- verbal Christian. Here's what it says in Mark 7, 6 through 9. But he answered and said to them, Well has Isaiah prophesied, you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. That is a verbal Christian that could be tied into some of these other Christians I've talked about also. You honor God with your lips. Maybe you do it in church on Sunday, Monday morning, you're just like the world out there. Using the F word, acting like them. Remember remember uh, Peter when he followed Jesus from a distance and he went into the courtyard where Jesus was being uh, before the Sanhedrin. And it says that, well, first of all, he entered into enemy territory. He was following from a distance. If you're following Jesus from a distance, you got a problem. He followed Jesus from a distance, and what happened? He ended up in the enemy's court. And then, before you know it, he's warming himself over the enemy's fire. And then after that, not only did he enter the court, not only did he, did, he, did he warm himself in the enemy's fire, he actually began to talk and act like them. He started cussing and swearing. I am not a follower of him. Cussing and swearing. So he was looking just like them. If you're following Jesus from a distance, you could end up, like Peter did, ended up denying him. But Peter knew Jesus loved him, and he loved Jesus, and he was victorious through it all. Not like Judas. Peter actually repented, and Judas was just remorseful that he betrayed a righteous man. Key, man. You know, I've had people talk to me. I'd say, Did you, you need to love Jesus. And some one guy one time, he said this. He says, I can't love Jesus. He's a man. I said, that's your problem. He's not a man. He's God. Put your faith where it's supposed to be, not in, in, in God, through Christ. There's intellectual Christianity. They play the game. We speak well, but we have no compassion. They have an intellectual about themselves. They came with excellency of speech and wisdom, declaring the testimony of God. But they, they were intellectual. They had no compassion. You ever notice that Jesus moved with compassion? He loved them. He moved with great compassion. If you don't have compassion, either move out of the ministry or get compassion.
Then there's Christ-like Christianity. They play the game. They look like, they act like, they speak like. But some of them are not. Some of them are not born again. Some of them never came to know Jesus. Jesus said, you must be born again. He didn't say, if you feel like it, be born again. He said, you must be born again. And then he goes on to say two verses later, or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Not much less enter it. You won't even see it. We know that Christ-life Christianity is, you know, therefore, if you be in Christ, you are a new creature. The old things are passed away. All things become new. You aren't the same person. If you went back to your, say you got saved in your 20s, you went back to your high school reunion, they would not recognize you other than your looks. You would have a changed personality. I went to one of my class reunions, I think it was about 10 years out. One of the guys I hang out with, his name was Boris. Yeah, really, Boris. Um, I went to the reunion, he said, he said to me, we used to hang out together, did all kind of not good things together. He come up to me at the reunion, he says, he says, I hear you're a, a, a Christian now, a Jesus freak. I said, I heard you just got out of jail last week. It was true. My change, but he didn't. How did I change? By Christ. I'm in Christ now. My friends wouldn't recognize me other than looks. It's been so long, anyhow, they probably wouldn't recognize me either. But... <laughs> But, you know, I'm a new creature. I begin to act different. My parents said, what happened to you? You're a new creature. The old things passed away. You're changed. You're completely new. Just like that demoniac in Mark chapter 5. They came to Jesus and him who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. And the man came running to Jesus. And the demons are crying out, what do we have to do with you? What do you have to do with us, Christ? Did you come to, to, to send us there before the time, to the place before the time? They recognized Jesus. The man recognized Jesus, but the demons overpowered him. Jesus cast out the demons because he saw the man's desire to love to to know him to help him and he cast the demons out and then what happened to the man the man he ended up when jesus got in the boat to go over the other side he said i want to go with you and jesus said i don't want you to go with me you go back and you shall tell god i tell them your friends and your relatives what god has done for you see he changed he wanted to follow jesus if you're born again you want to follow jesus It'll be the desire of your heart. I pray that practically every day. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Because I'm not the same guy I used to be. I love every moment of being a Christian. People think it's a boring life. Sundays are boring. Most unbelievers, you know, uh, especially when the blue laws were in effect, where you, everything was closed on Sunday, you know, they, they would say, Sundays are boring. I'm there like, I can't wait till Sunday. And that's even the same today, 43 plus years later. Because I was born again, the Holy Spirit came into me. And you got that fire, that love for the Lord, that love for the Lord. Do you know that believers in the Bible are, are described as th uh, them that love God? Even in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says that God has prepared for those who love him. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that God has planned for those who love him. There's a requirement. You've got to love him. And even in John, or you know, Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for the good, what? To those who love him. 
to those who are called according to his purpose. I believe I love him. I tell him a hundred times every day probably. And I'm called according to his purpose and so are you. Jesus rubbed off on him. Jesus went so deep down into that demoniac's heart, you would have killed him to tear him out. And that's the way it should be with us Christians. Jesus is so deep into your heart that if they pulled Jesus out, you would just die. Why should Jesus rub off on you? Well, he told us in Matthew 5. He said, let your light shine in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven because you are the lights of the world. Let your light shine. That isn't being a secret Christian. That's showing it, living it. Then there's the people that play the unrepentant Christianity. If you go to this church, I'm on repentance all the time because we need to repent all the time because we're sinners. We're covered by the blood, and the blood washes our sins away, but we still sin. There's, un, there's unrepentance. Some, some people play the game, and they look like they're repentant, but they're not. They're really remorseful like Judas. Here was one in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to turn there again. Read it from the Bible. Acts chapter 8, verse 18. Eighteen through twenty-two. Okay, let me find it. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart will be forgiven you. See, this guy didn't understand anything about the Word of God. He thought he could buy, you know, laying of a hand and giving the gifts of the Holy Spirit with money. You know, God, he's the creator of the hills, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if you look at the sunset tonight or the stars tonight into the sky, he's the creator of all the stars. What does he need money for? He wants your heart. He wants you to repent. We bring sinners into the church to give them an opportunity to repent because they need to repent in order to be saved. You have to know you're a sinner first. The whole for you world out there, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Though your sins are red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Listen, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We need a Savior, and you need to repent of your sin, and then the Savior will come into your heart if you do it with all your heart. Therefore, he says, repent of this wickedness. Repent. Important part of Christianity. Can't be let out of can't be left out of churches today. You have to be preaching repentance. Repentance. Here's Romans 8 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, you're not God's. How do you get Spirit of God, Christ? You get born again. 
That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. you got to believe with all of your heart. Then there's the bloodless Christianity. They play this game. Why so much blood? What's the big deal about blood? I'll tell you the big deal about blood. The Old Testament scriptures were bloody. There was bloodshed every day. The priests that sacrificed were covered with blood. You know what it was for? To give you a respect for the blood of Christ that's going to be shed someday down the road. And it's time for us today to look back and appreciate the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The blood. So we can look back. And now we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus did it once for all. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Even Hebrews tells us that all things are purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. The blood's important. Hebrews tells us of chapter 10 that not to trodden underfoot the blood of Christ. It's holy. Holy blood. God was preparing those that live before us and those that today and those that will live after to have a, have a respect for the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But today, a lot of churches don't preach about the blood of Christ. Most people today, I already hit point one of the points, they think it's all by their good works. But yet if you study Scripture and you interpret Scripture by Scripture, you can come up with nothing but you're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Because Jesus saved us not on the basis of your righteousness, but according to his mercy. And it isn't preached. Do good works. Give to the church. Works doesn't save. Faith in the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, is what will save you. And my last point, the crossless Christianity. You know that the old rugged cross has been replaced with the sanded, shellacked, polished, and waxed cross today? You know, when I had this cross behind me made, I told the guy making it, who was a part of the church back then, he was working her in wood, and I told him, I says, I want a rough and rugged cross. But his professionalism <laughs> wouldn't let him do that. So I went up there, we picked out a bunch with some knot holes in it, but I wanted it to look like a, a railroad tie nailed to a wall so that you could see that the cross is an important part. Jesus is suffering on the cross. It wasn't a smooth thing like this. It was rough and rugged. And every time Jesus pushed himself up on his feet because crucifixion is really suffocation, every time he pushed himself up on his feet and took a breath, he fell back down and opened the wounds that were on his back and he started bleeding all over again. So you could know that when you take up your cross and follow Jesus, it might not be a, a, a good thing, a desirable thing. It may be a rough ride. The cross of Christ is rugged. But I heard one preacher say one time, he took all the cross, take all your crosses that we're in this room today, put them in this little room right here, and go pick out the cross that you, that, that you would like to have. And 99.9% .9 of the time, you will pick the cross you already have. Because some people's crosses are worse than yours. You can't leave the cross out. Because the cross, you can't play the game and not look at the suffering of Jesus. He blotted out, yes, all our transgressions and the handwriting of the ordinances, the Mosaic law that was against us. He blotted it out. Praise the Lord. But it's time for us to take up our cross and follow him. He died for you. It was supposed to be you on that cross. But it was him. He took it for you.
Colossians 1.20 says, having made peace through the blood of the cross. He made peace with man through the blood of the cross. When he rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, I tell you all the time, if, if you haven't heard it from me, a donkey, when a king rides through his city on a donkey, it is a time of peace. When he's riding a white stallion, it's a time of war. Jesus came in peace to the world. And that's why the, the scriptures say, peace on earth towards men of goodwill. Not goodwill to men, men of goodwill. He wants men to live a righteous life. That I, his kingdom come to this earth as it is in heaven. There's no peace really to those that won't receive Christ. You might think you have peace, but it's not peace. But the preaching of the cross is foolishness to some. But to us, it's the power of God for salvation. So if the cross is left out of the church that you're in, you've got a problem. You need to get the preacher back to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? Because it's time he was to reconcile man with God. He who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's important that these things take place. can't leave the blood out you can't leave the cross out and it's got to be a rugged cross you're dead remember Christ lives in you so for those of you maybe over the internet that don't know Jesus as your savior some of you are playing a game with God what game will you play in this coming year? Are you going to you know, play a game of legalistic Christianity? Are you going to play the game of wordless Christianity? Are you going to play a game of financial Christianity? Are you just going to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and you're just going to ask him into your heart? That's all it takes. But when you ask him into your heart, he'll come into your heart. But you've got to ask him with all your heart. Don't miss heaven by those 18 inches. So let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I know my message wasn't with eloquent words of wisdom. I know that your word is what changes us. It's your word that saves us. So, Lord, for those today, Lord, that don't know you, maybe out over the Internet, Lord, today, they would say, I quit running. I'm a sinner. I fall short of God's glory. Lord, come into my heart and make me the man or the woman that you want me to be. And may my life bring glory and honor to your name. May I do good works because my faith is in you. And to you be the glory for it all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody. I love you all. And Happy New Year. Praise the Lord. After hearing that message, we're going to do that last praise and worship song. Amen? Amen. And come on, church. I know it says a Christmas hallelujah. That's the title of that song, with that praise and worship, but... Christmas is every day. And as Pastor Joe was 
preaching, I could hear the heavens roar. The angels sing. They're celebrating. Amen? So let's celebrate the gift that was given to us. The King of Kings, our Savior, was sent for us to die on the cross for our sins. We have so much to be grateful for. Amen. Come on, church. Let him in. Open up your heart.
Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. I love you all. Merry Christmas and a blessed Happy New Year. I'll see you next year. <laughs> yes. <laughs>